hello, my friend, Pastor Daniel Dagan here, Hope Apostolic Church, on our podcast, Timely Words of Hope. I welcome you today as we join in together to study the Word of God. Can you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you, mighty God, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, and for your kindness. I pray, God, that you would use this as another tool, God, to share thy word and to impact lives. God, those that will watch it, God, I pray, God, let the minds and the spirit receive from thy word. And God, work with us, confirming thy word with signs and wonders following. Be exalted, mighty God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I pray you're at a place where you can maybe sit down and maybe open up your Bible or if you listen to it while you're driving, maybe go back and sit down and open up with us the scriptures and let us study together. I want to talk today from this subject, God's prophetic picture of the last day church. God's prophetic picture of the last day church. I think it is both a picture of as we consider the seven churches listed in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. God's prophetic pitch of the last day church is both. Philadelphia, the great powerful church, and Laodicea, the lukewarm carnal church. And over the next few minutes, I'll explain what I mean by that statement. We are clearly in the last last days, the final moments, yea, as signs declare it, as we think about the clock at the University of Chicago, this doomsday clock as they would call it, well now just according to their calculations and this great set of variables and this matrix that they use to look at current events and global conditions, they say that we are only now just a few seconds from midnight. And I would say certainly as I study the scriptures, with all the prophetic signs that are listed, we're there now standing, yea, at the coming of the Lord. Anytime now we expect the dead in Christ to rise first, then we which are alive and remain to be called up to meet him in the air. But as we think about this, the end time, the last day. I want to consider what the Bible says about the condition, yea, of the broad church in the last day. Things that we will be dealing with. Spirits that we will be confronting. Well, first, let's start out here, can we? Luke 21 and verse 24, it is part of the Olivet Discourse where Jesus gives his response to the question, what's the signs of thy coming? It's recorded in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Well, in this verse, Luke 21, verse 24, he speaks, Christ speaks of the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled. That's, I believe, pointing towards the end of, of the age, the end of the church age, in which God turns his attention back to the nation of Israel. You see that Paul writes about it a bit in Romans chapter 10 into Romans chapter 11. Certainly Ezekiel prophesies about that. Also Paul references this, the end of the age, the end of the times of the Gentiles. In Romans 11 verse 25, Paul speaks of it when he makes a statement, until the fullness of the Gentiles is come. We are there now, I believe, at the very end, the final moments of the church age or the final moments of the end of the dispensation of the Gentiles, the end of the age of the Gentiles. I think we're facing the fullness of the times of the Gentiles. With every fulfillment of prophecy, the explosion of the fulfillment of prophecy. It's not now just week by week and day by day. It's like every moment 
there's something globally that yet again fulfills another sign of the end times or affirms signs that's already been fulfilled. Consider the warnings regarding the end of the age, this time that we live in. Jude and Jude verse 4. It says, For there are crept in men unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men crept in where? Crept into the congregation of God. Crept into the body of believers. That's an indication of some of the things that we will deal with at the end or the last day of the church. Men crept in before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't hardly look at the current headlines on whatever, Fox News or CBS News or whatever your choice is for your news outlet. I look at the Fox News app a couple of times a day just to make sure that I'm paying attention to what's going on in our world and our nation. And it, it seems like almost every day there's another split of a mainstream, mainline Christian organization in America. And I, I throw no stones. But if it's at the Methodist convention or the Baptist convention or whatever, because they can't come to some type of consensus or majority vote on the LBGTQ movement or these other types of things. So they're splitting these long-standing, mainstream, mainline Protestant organizations that have been a stalwart in the Christian arena in North America for not just decades, but for centuries. And now they're splitting them. And it, it's because, in part, that a wickedness has crept in to the broad church, to the broad church, has crept in. And now these people that profess to be ministers or men of God, women of God, they are literally turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, a sexual wickedness, a deplorable sexual wickedness. And they're trying to cover it under the blank or the auspices of God as a graceful or loving God. It is true. He is gracious and merciful. But it also tells us that the grace of God teaches us. I think it's Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness, to turn from that type of stuff. Consider, as Paul paints a picture of some of what we're dealing with in this last day, the times of the Gentiles, Peter also comes alongside and describes, as Paul would, the times of the Gentiles coming to a close. Peter says it in 2 Peter 2, 1. There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, privately shall bring in damnable hearsays, false doctrines and false teachings, damnable hearsays, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon them swift destruction. Peter warns the church that there will be voices that rise among you that will bring in damnable doctrines. Well, as I think about, Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, where the seven churches are listed. It's a study for another time. But where the seven churches of Asia are listed towards the latter part of the first century. And John now is the last of the living foundational initial 12 apostles. And now John receives on the Isle of Papas this great revelation of Jesus Christ. And in it, early on, he gives to John, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. It's one after another. He gives seven words on writings, epistles, if you will, in Revelation to the seven churches of Asia, the seven of the churches of Asia. And as he gives them to them, of course, if you study Scripture, you would understand that these are specific words to literal churches, congregations, 
that were uh, alive, active churches that were uh, in operation at the end of the first century that had pastors or angels, the angel of the church, that had pastors over them, overseers. But, but I think it's also right to say when you study the language of Revelation chapter 1 going into chapter 2 and 3, and you read the closing statements even to these seven churches, it's clear that these were not just words of admonishment, instruction, and correction to just those seven literal churches, but they were to all the churches. And they were speaking to things past, things that had been, things that are, and things that are to come. So I think it's right to say that the seven writings to the seven churches of Revelations 2 and 3 is pointed directly to those seven established existing churches that were there at the end of the first century. But I also think on a secondary level, prophetically, those writings represent a picture of the church from the uh, day of Pentecost, the beginning of the church, as, as Peter would speak of it, the beginning of the church up until the rapture of the church, or yea, that church age or that church time period, the times of the Gentiles, as I would reference it in this lesson. So I think the writings to those seven churches chronicalize or capture the state or spells out a picture of the church and what the church will deal with from the beginning of the church at the day of Pentecost all the way up until the catching away of the church, the rapturing of the church, yea, up until the rapture of Christ, the end of the church age. So, with that being said, let me highlight the two churches I want to focus upon for the next few moments in our Bible study today on our podcast, Time of Words of Hope. So, the two churches I want to focus upon is first Laodicea and then Philadelphia. It's, it's unique that when you study Revelations chapter 2 and 3, these are the final two that are listed. Philadelphia and then finally of the seven, Laodicea. I don't think that's by chance. I think, and you could study for a while. We could spend a couple hours just tonight talking about Philadelphia, talking about Laodicea. I, I think my personal feeling, I've heard people say Philadelphia represents what happened at Azusa Street Forward. I, I don't know that I embrace that. I think Philadelphia represents what happened at the day of Pentecost forward. Yes, I understand. There was a renewing of the revelation of Jesus' name, baptism, shortly after the Azusa Street meetings closed in 1909 at the Arroyo Seco camp meetings. And yes, the Holy Ghost fell at Azusa Street in a great and glorious way from 1906 to 1909, 312 Azusa Street, Los Angeles, California, under the direction of William J. Seymour. I celebrate that. I think that is, and that marks the beginning <clears throat> the beginning of the great visitation of God in North America. It could be traced back earlier than that to um, Parham, Charles Parham at Topeka, Kansas and Stone's Folly. But it could be traced back even in the historical writings earlier than that to some great outpourings that took place in the Carolinas in the 1800s and on and on and on. I don't want to chase that too far. My point is I believe Philadelphia represents the church age from the day of Pentecost, Acts 2 forward. Now, elements of Philadelphia represents the church age from Acts 2 forward. Yes, I think as we move closer to the end, it comes into greater focus. Yes, I do agree with that. And I do think that when we turn the page at Azusa Street, the focus of what Philadelphia is is on the forefront. I do agree with that. But I don't think Philadelphia is just limited to or represents only what happened from Azusa Street forward. I think the trappings of it can be traced back to the day of Pentecost. And then Laodicea, the last one that is listed, of course, is described as a lukewarm church. It says that they were, Revelations 3, 14 to 22, they were rich, increased with goods, yet they were wretched, miserable, spiritually blind, and in need of repenting. 
and then Philadelphia, Revelations 3, verse 8 to 11. He tells them that there was an open door before them that no man could shut. He tells them that they have a little strength. They've been obedient, faithful to the word of God, the word of his patience, that he was going to keep them from the hour of temptation. I think that's a reference to the wrath to come, the seven years of tribulation, Daniel's 70th week. I think that's a reference to the church, yea, that good, loyal, faithful church like Philadelphia being raptured out before the great uh, tribulation begins, before Daniel 9, 24, 27, the 70th week of Daniel begins. I think that's what that's speaking of. And then he tells them in verse 11 to the church of Philadelphia, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. That is a picture. This is a picture of the apostolic church. I think the apostolic church in the last hour, the loyal, faithful remnants, I think it's going to be without number. I think it's going to be a global, powerful, worldwide church. I think God is going to pour out his spirit in an unprecedented fashion. I think we're going to see a greater manifestation of the gifts of the spirit, the power of God as never before. I think the spirit will be poured out on all flesh as never before. The later it gets, I think the greater the manifestation of such things. Jesus said, greater works than these shall ye do, because I go away to my Father. In the last hour, sin will abound, but grace will much more abound. Zechariah prophesies about it. Zechariah 14, I believe it is, that in the evening time, there's going to be light. I think the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the greater the fervent, true witness of the loyal church the loyal remnant we will see. I think the church will rise greater in power. I think the church will rise greater in unity, the remnant. I think God will bring people together under the truth of God's word, the one God revelation, the mighty God in Christ, the revelation of the name of Jesus, the essentialities of Acts 2.38, holiness, separation, the power of prayer, the power of the name, the power of the Spirit coming forth with clear demonstration signs and wonders. I think we're going to see that even greater. But I also say that I also think that we're going to contend with spiritual leaders, saints of God, prayer warriors, bishops, overseers, women of God. I think we're going to, in the church and in the spiritual arena, we're going to, as we get closer to the coming of the Lord, the rapture, the catching away, we're going to deal with the spirit of Laodicea, the mindset of Laodicea, lukewarmness, increase with goods. That describes much of what the church is dealing with today. The North American church, people that are my elder by many years, I've heard them say it, they've told me, the North American Apostolic Church has never been as financially blessed and as prosperous as it is right now. My wife's grandfather was a Brush Harbor preacher. They threw rotten tomatoes and rotten eggs at him. Preached the gospel with coins in his pocket. I've known others that have shared the similar type of testimony. As the work of God gained its traction and the apostolic church gained its footing in North America. But now some of the greatest churches in our city, the greatest church complexes on the main interstates, multi-million dollar campuses, many, many, many of them across the Florida district, around the country, and yea, around the world, preaching the whole message. They have not compromised. So that's true. We are rich and increased with goods. And many of them are part of that loyal church. They're faithful saints of God like Philadelphia. But we are also in the church that I'm honored to pastor. I pastor great people. I humbly am honored to lead these people. But we also deal with lukewarmness, complacency, just a miserable outlook, a, a mindset that just is uh, spiritually contented and in a fog. 
increased and blessed and prosperous, but at the same time, dealing with just this, this complacency that is crippling the church. We see both. Every pastor that I know is sharing a similar type of testimony. God is visiting us. The power of God is coming to our services. There's a move of God. The Holy Ghost is being outpoured. The anointing of God is present. People addicted to meth and fentanyl and crack and sexual wickedness and all different types of things. They're coming in. Demons are being cast out like that. No problem. But I can't get the saints of God to say amen. I can't get people who's had the Holy Ghost for 30 years to wave their hand. In the same congregation, we're seeing great saints of God go forward with a fervency and a faith. And others deal with lukewarmness and a wretched complacency, stagnation, increase with goods, rich, wealthy. Every offering, as far as I know, every offering of the United Pentecostal Church, every major national offering, Christmas for Christ, Save Our Children, Mother's Memorial, Move the Mission, the Men's Father's Day offering, the six major Offerings every year has increased for about five years running. We are rich and increased with goods. Amen to that. But we are also dealing with the complacency. I hear national evangelists that preach in their full time in ministry. I hear them say that we can't get the saints of God to pray more than six or seven minutes in an altar, but we labor in sinners are still in the altar weeping and sobbing. New converts are sobbing an hour after church is dismissed. That's a picture of the end time church. Not every saint is lukewarm, of course, you know that. We have powerful saints in our church that is on fire for God like they've never been on fire for God. But some, did you hear me say that? Some saints are dealing with a wretched complacency. And that is a coalescing or the coming together of, I think, what we're going to deal with from now up until the rapture of the church. The mindset or the attributes of the church of Philadelphia, the loyal church, a fervent church, a committed church, the church that will not deny the word of God, that will endure whatever, that will be true to the things of God. And then those that were part of the church of Laodicea, that mindset, that attitude where they will be lukewarm, the church of Laodicea, make no mistake about it, those were people that had the Holy Ghost that were baptized. They were in the church. Paul even references the church of Laodicea in his epistles. That was a literal church, Acts 2.38 church. <laughs> when the New Testament from Acts 2 forward calls it a church, it's a church set up according to Acts 2.38 forward, okay? So that's a church, but there was people in that church that as the ones that were in Philadelphia, that had loyalty, that had commitment, that was committed to doctrine, those that were in the church of Laodicea, they had much wealth, much financial increase, but they were lukewarm and complacent. And we're dealing with these two things right now, not just outside the walls of the church and, and not just within the broad arena of Christendom globally, but within the apostolic church congregation, we're dealing with these things. Consider, con consider Matthew chapter 13. Tom won't permit me to do uh, a great detailed explanation of this, but I'll give you enough that you can go back and study and pray over it and make your own conclusions. But Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 and really the whole chapter, but verse 24, and I'll skip down to verse 29 and 30. I think it gives us a picture of this of this side-by-side -side existing of these two spirits or these two mentalities. Notice what it says. Matthew 13, 24, a parable. He put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened Unto a man which sowed good seed in the field. Good seed. 
the kingdom of heaven. It's a parable. I think he is pointing towards what is going to take place beyond this moment in the gospel. I think it clearly points towards the church age. The kingdom of heaven is like a man that sowed good seed in the field. And then he gives you a few more comments as you hasten into verse 29. Jesus said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. The servants wanted to go out after the seeds had been cast. And they wanted like you would go into your flower bed and pull up weeds so that you can have a nice flower bed with only flowers. Everything's great, perfect, looks wonderful. Well, the servants wanted to go out and pull up the tares. But Jesus says, no, don't do that. Least as you gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. He says in verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And then the time of harvest, the ingathering. When I say to the reapers, here's the statement. Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into the barn. I think the picture of the wheat being taken into the barn is a picture of the rapture. It's a good picture. It's a picture of the church, Philadelphia, loyal, faithful, the apostolic loyal remnant. I think that's a picture of the rapture. Remember the closing comments of 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, 18. He says that we would be with him forever. That's as the wheat going into the barn. Safe now, protected, no longer have to deal with the problems and the tears and so forth. I think when he speaks of the tears, beginning and yea, uh, suffering, being bound together, burning them, what is that? Binding together. This is, of course, word language. This is uh, figurative language, imagery that is pointing towards a truth. I think when he speaks of the tares being bound together, it's a picture pointing towards the different false religions and false doctrines coming together in the last days. It's a picture of them being bound together. Have you heard the stories? It's been now several years. It's been ongoing, ongoing, where leaders of the Islamic faith and leaders within the Buddhist religion, and leaders within the arena of Hare Krishna, and paganists, and leaders within the Pope of the Catholic Church, leaders within Catholicism, and on and on. They have come together, and the Alliance Church have sent leaders to these global councils and meetings. They've come together. I think that binding the tares together is going to be and is a picture of the different leaders of the false religions coming together. And in part, they're going to rally in the name of religion. Well, you know what separates the apostolic church? We will not embrace a doctrine that declares three persons co-equal, co-existent, and and co-powerful. We won't endorse the Trinitarian doctrine. We, We won't endorse... Three separate, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent persons. We won't uh, accept that the name of Jesus is not highly exalted above every name. We won't accept, an apostolic will not accept that Acts 2.38 is not essential for salvation. An apostolic won't do those things. And that's what's going to put us on the outside looking in. Well, I don't want to be bound together with that group. But you see that the tares and the wheat for a season exist together. Every pastor that I know would say that in his church that they lead, there's people that are like the wheat and there are others that are like tares. And if you just go and start plucking people out, first of all, there's a chance somebody that's in a bad place can be redeemed and come back to a place of contrition and serve God. You start plucking people out that perhaps in your assessment you view as one that would fall in a category being like the tares, then you eliminate any opportunity God has to redeem and restore and strengthen that person. 
but then also you may damage some other innocent people in the midst of that. So that's a picture of them being together. What about Luke 17, 34? It's interesting that in the midst of this, there is a distinction. Even though they were together in the same place, wheat looks one way. It's, it's made up one particular way. Tares looks a different way. It, it just is made up differently. So they were in the same place, but they were different. Did you hear me? Luke 17, 34. I tell you, in that night, pointing towards the coming of the Lord, there shall be two men in the bed. One shall be taken and the one left. Together, same place. One taken, one left. Matthew 24, 39 to 42. And so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. It's specifically tied to the Lord's return. And notice how two are together. Then two shall be in the field, one taken, one left. In the same place, one is taken and one left. I think that represents that in the last day arena of Christianity and even in the apostolic arena, there's going to be strong believers that are like the Church of Philadelphia. And there will be lukewarm, complacent people that are in a bad place with God, not in a good place with God. And in that state, if they do not repent, they won't make it to heaven. And they'll like the people that were in the church of Laodicea. Two in the same place, one taken from the field, one left. Verse 41, Matthew 24, at the grinding meal, there will be two, one taken, one left. And then he gives the warning, watch therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord comes. He tells them essentially that you need to make your calling and election sure. He goes on to tell the church of Laodicea, he actually offers them hope. He tells them that if they will repent, if they will repent, he tells them in Revelations 3, 19 to 22, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. So even in this moment, people in the church that are lukewarm, complacent, indulging in sinful things, God forbid, like the people of Laodicea. God's judgment has not fallen upon them yet. But they are in a place of judgment if, did you catch it? If they do not repent. There's a path of hope for them. There's a path forward for them. There's a path of redemption for them. Just like the Lord of heaven offered to the literal church of Laodicea through the pastor and the angel of that church, I think in this hour, in this last day, as we consider the picture, the spiritual climate of the church in this last day and how we're dealing with both, in one sense it is both the best of times and the most challenging of times. We are dealing with the great church of Philadelphia and the carnal appetites of Laodicea. But God says to the people of Laodicea, and he says to anybody today that is lukewarm, has lost them, grounding God, repent. Repent. He chasteneth those whom he loveth, and there'll be a pathway for you to make it to heaven. Can I have an amen from somebody that's watching right there in your vehicle? Right there when you watch this, give me an amen in the spirit. Hallelujah. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, he even says, for the time is come that judgment, sounds like the end to me, for judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? So judgment begins at the house of God. The separation of the wheat and the tares, the separation in the final hour of the loyal church, the remnant Philadelphia and Laodicea, 
the complacent, the carnal, the worldly, the backslidden group, the separation. Judgment begins at the house of God. 2 Timothy 2.20. In a great house, here it is, there are not only vessels of gold, silver, like Philadelphia, but also of wood and of earth. Some to honor, like Philadelphia, some to dishonor. Wood and of the earth, like Laodicea. Separation. I think it's a picture of what takes place and what is taking place and will take place in the church of God up until the catching away of the rapture of the church in God's great house. Matthew 25, 1 to 7. Again, you'll see that they were together in the same place. Matthew 25, 1, you're familiar with it, I'm sure. Matthew 25, 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took the lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. So they, they prepared, and all of them took lamps and went forth. Sounds like a church. Some as Laodicea, some as Philadelphia. Five of them were wise, like Philadelphia, the loyal church. Five were foolish, like Laodicea, the carnal, lukewarm church. Verse 6 and 7, Matthew 25. Coincidentally, this is a continuation of Jesus' answer to the Olivet Discourse on what are the signs of thy coming. He begins in Matthew 24, like verse 3, and it goes on to the end of Matthew 25. This is part of his answer. It also is a, the blossoming of the fig tree. That's also part of it. You see it here too. Matthew 25, verse 6 and 7. The bridegroom cometh, and the five wise and the five foolish were in the same place. And only five wise went to be with the bridegroom. And then the door was shut. So they was in the same place. But five had the oil, the lamps was trimmed, they were ready, all of those things. But five foolish was not. Again, I see, you see it differently, God bless you. Go pray, study your Bible, talk to your pastor. But I see a picture in this parable pointing towards the last days. Clearly Jesus is doing that. I see it also includes the picture, the image, the language of Philadelphia and Laodicea side by side. So, let me turn the corner here and hasten to a close today. What will the last day church be? I'm going to read it to you just as God gave it to me. And I certainly believe this is sound doctrine and I can, I can stand by it scripturally. I say carefully and humbly. What will the last day church be? And I don't profess to know everything and every intricate detail and descriptive statement concerning and regarding to the last day church. But I think this statement is accurate in scripture and this statement I can certainly defend. What will the last day church be? It will be a holy church that experiences a powerful demonstration of God's spirit through worship, prayer, and lifestyle dedications to holiness. This family of God will embrace the fruits, Galatians 5, and the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. They will earnestly contend for Bible truths, the faith once delivered, and actively evangelize the world, locally and globally. This great last day church will stand upon the revelation of the mighty God in Christ, and declare boldly the name of Jesus. They will do this in the midst of tremendous confusion, error, unrighteousness, satanic resistance, and yea, as we feel increasing day by day, resistance from the spirit of Antichrist. Some of this resistance will even come from some professing Christ Yea, saying that they are part of the church. I want to leave you with this final couple of comments. 
four truths are communicated to all seven of the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. I've spent the last 35, 40 minutes talking about the church of Philadelphia, the church of Laodicea. But as we think about all seven of the churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. The seven churches of Asia that are addressed, a word is sent to them, yea, to the angel or to the pastor of those seven literal congregations, and I think by extension to the church age from the day of Pentecost up to the rapture. As we think about those seven churches, each of those words, I focus upon the word to Philadelphia and Laodicea tonight. But each of those seven words are unique. They speak to, many of them, the problems in that church. But they also celebrate the strengths or the good things that are also taking place in those churches. Each word is unique based upon that congregation. It's like a traveling evangelist. He may feel a general theme to preach faith to God's broad church. But when he goes from congregation to congregation, it is going to be uniquely tailored, a prayerful evangelist will uniquely tailor that word as he feels after God to the specific strengths, weaknesses, needs in that particular congregation. So it is in the word to these seven churches. God speaks, John receives it, gives it to the pastor or to the angel of those churches. But consistently to all seven, there are four common things that are said to all seven. I think we do well in this hour dealing with the spirits that we're facing in the closing moments, the times of the Gentiles. This final moment before the rapture of the church as we celebrate the great revival, yea, the wonderful church of Philadelphia, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and the apostolic revival. And as we contend with and face and deal with the spirits associated with Laodicea and the spirit of the Antichrist and what ultimately becomes the binding together of the mother whore Mother Babylon, the apostate, as we deal with all of this at the same time, I think we're well served and we do well walking in the scriptures if we give attention to the four consistent words that God speaks to the seven different congregations of Asia at the end of the first century and to the seven different time periods, if you will, of the broad church age from Pentecost up until the rapture. Here's the four words. The first one is, and I quote it to you as it is spoken to all seven. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to all seven churches. Revelations 2.7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. No matter the condition of the church, no matter what we're facing, no matter what type of increasing worldliness we're dealing with, God will have a church. He will have a remnant. He will have a great body of believers without number increasingly we are seeing greater revival. God's Spirit will speak to His church consistently. Yea, up until the end, His Spirit will be speaking to believers, to the church, and yea, even beyond, to believers up until the end. He that hath an ear, let him hear. In the midst of this fierce battle we are dealing with, in the midst of this coming together of the greatest of global revivals and the fiercest of contending for the faith that the church has ever seen, we better ensure that we have an ear 
to hear and to be attuned to what the Spirit is saying to the churches in this hour. That's the first word. The second word, I know thy works. To all seven churches, Revelations 2, 2, 2, 9, 2, 13, 2, 19, 3, 1, 3, 8, 3, 15. He says the same word to all seven. I know thy works. To the ones that are doing wrong, he says, I know thy works. That which is done in darkness is coming to light. I feel an increasing of the prophetic awareness that God is granting unto ministers, men and women of God, to speak into hidden sinful situations in people's lives. I think that's an indication of God bringing things to light, not in an effort to hurt somebody or destroy them, but to force them to confront the sin in their life so that God can, yes, grant them repentance as he offers Laodicea and help them to find the pathway of hope forward. Because it's not the will of God that any would perish, but yea, that all would come to repentance and know eternal life. Can I have an amen as you listen to this online? The third word, I quoted to you directly as he says it to all seven churches. He that overcometh. Revelations 2.7, 2.11, 2.17, 2.26, 3.5, 3.14, 3.16, 3.17, 3.18, 3.19, 3.20, 3.21, 3.22, 3.23, 3.24, 3.25, 3.26, 3.27, 3.28, 3.29, 
You will be a pillar in the temple of my God. You will go out no more. I will write upon you my name in the city of my God. You will be in new Jerusalem, heaven. I will write down your new name, Revelations 3.12. And finally, I close. To the church of Laodicea, the seventh one, he also presents to them in their journey, in their battling with all the wicked spirits of the hour. He says to them, and he presents to them a picture of the hope and the glory of heaven. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Revelations 3, 19 to 22. Four words that are just the same. He gives them a picture of heaven. He declares unto them that you must overcome. I know your works, and my spirit is speaking to you, friend. In this last day, yes, it is. It is a challenging time. It is a difficult hour. But if God's brought us to it, he's going to help us to endure it. We have to have a made-up mind, and we have to be dependent upon the grace of God. And the church does not go down in a poof of smoke in this hour. This is the greatest hour the church has ever known. That is a picture of the end-time church, both Philadelphia and Laodicea. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, I thank you, mighty God, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, and for your kindness. Let us all, God, be aware the time that we are living in. Let us remember that you have brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Thank you, God, for equipping us for such an hour as this. In Jesus' name, go with us, God, and work with us, confirming thy word with signs and wonders following be exalted, mighty God, in every word and every deed. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord God, amen, amen, amen. Friend, thank you for watching this podcast and all of them. They will post on all the platforms the first and third Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern time of the month. One of our other ministers teaches each of the episodes that post the first week of the month I teach the episode on the third week of the month. Thank you. Please share this. God bless you. If I can be of any service, please reach out to me directly, pastordagan at gmail.com. God bless you and have a great day.